Good evening, New Hope. Great to have you here. I should mention before I get started that uh, our Kenya medical mission team is uh, headed back. They're in the air as we speak and, and uh, should be back tomorrow afternoon, I think about uh, 2 or 3 o'clock, right in that neighborhood sometime. They've uh, we actually, at, at some risk to the sermon tonight, we've put um, information on that, some of the emails in, in, your, uh, in your bulletin. It looks so thick tonight, if you're looking for coupons, you won't find any in there. It's just a couple things I thought you should have, um, both for the message tonight and for, uh, and for the Kenya trip. But uh, they, it really has been a life-changing experience for our crew that went there, and they've written a lot about that, and, and also for uh, the folks that are there, I think. Um, they said that uh, Mark taught uh, about 35 pastors, and he talks a little bit about how moving that was to have that group of pastors gather around him after those days of teaching and, and uh, just pray and, and bless him for the work he has to do here. And then also for the medical team, they treated 850 patients in, uh, I think, three days, something like that. So uh, all, all of them are happy to go back to a practice probably where they treat somebody every half hour, I think. But it's uh, uh, an, an incredible demonstration of the, the, uh, the tangible love of Christ uh, demonstrated over there. And, and it was life-changing for our folks, too, just to see the, the joy that uh, that uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ have um, in the face of just being destitute. I mean, they have nothing materially uh, compared, to, compared to what we do, certainly, but uh, rich in faith, rich in joy, and, uh, and in worship, too. I think we'll learn some things about worship from, from them as well. Um, last week... We, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, three spiritual disciplines. Actually, I, I hope that last week and this week would be kind of a, a toolkit for us to, to help us grow in our life with God. And so uh, last week we talked about, uh, first of all, our position in Christ, because you need to understand that first. And, and, and that is that it, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, uh, if, if we uh, have faith in him as our substitute and his death on the cross, that, that means we, uh, God says in Scripture that, that we have the right to become the children of God. He's given us the right to become the children of God if we have faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And, and when that occurs, we're declared not guilty. We're, we're justified is the, is, the, is the legal word, the legal term in, in the book of Romans. But what it means is that we've been declared not guilty once and for all, forever. Nothing can change that. And then the, the other piece of good news is that um, some, sometimes we think that, well, now that we're a Christian, we have to start acting differently and we have to start acting holier and trying harder to be like Jesus. And, and what we learned was that that's not the case either, that God has provided for all that. And, and whether it's our initial salvation or our, our life, that, uh, our, our life, the life of Christ demonstrated in us, which is God's project after we come to faith, I mean, God's focus after we come to faith is, is to transform us into the image of his, his Son. And that's what he spends the rest of our life on. But it's all his work. And it's a work of grace from start to finish. And then we got to the place where we said, well, isn't there anything 
uh, left for us to do. And what God asks us to do is position ourselves in a way that he can do that work in our lives. You just did some of that. You know, any time you enter into worship or you enter into the Word of God or, or you enter into prayer, you're touching the, the presence of God. You're meeting him spirit to spirit and heart to heart. And anywhere in Scripture that anybody has come in contact with God, they've changed. God, God changes us every time we come into his presence. And that is true of, of worship, whether it's worship here or, or, or worship on our own whether we're in the scripture at home meditating or we're exposed to scripture here, that the way that you feel your, your heart and your spirit swell when, when uh, Michael plays and, and, you, and you hear that music, that's not just your emotions. That's the spirit of God connecting with your spirit and blessing you. And, and that's, that's what we're, we're, we're trying to get to the place where we can live in that, in that place most of the time so that uh, God can t- continually change us over time into the image of his son Jesus Christ. Strip away the old person uh, so that uh, people can see Jesus Christ revealed in us. That's, that's the idea. So last week we talked about three of what we called spiritual disciplines or, or the, the different practices passed down from ancient times that we can uh, use to position ourselves so that God can bless us and change us and transform us. Last week we talked about silence and solitude and meditating on the Word of God. And today we're going to be talking about, uh, about a couple other disciplines or ways to position ourselves so that God can transform us and bless us. And we're going to be talking about worship and prayer today, uh, some of which we've already done uh, since you've been here. So uh, that's, that's where we're headed today. I want to share with you a little story about a, a man named Nicholas Herman. You may not have heard of him. He spent a lot of time with pots and pans and the, and the presence of God. He was a humble man. He was born into obscurity in 1614 to peasant parents in the eastern part of France. He was poorly educated and born into poverty. So when he was a teenage boy, he had to join the army just to get something to eat or he would have starved to death. He described himself as a, as a big awkward man who was uh, apt to crash into things around him, around him and, and uh, break them. He was a very ordinary man. He describes his conversion to faith in Jesus Christ as occurring once when he saw a tree in the French wintertime. It was stripped of its leaves and fruit, and he looked at that tree, and he saw in that tree his own spiritual deadness, and at the same time the potential for new life comes spring. And he, he said this. He said that that leafless tree and I'm quoting here, first flashed in upon my soul the fact of God, unquote, and a, and a love for God that grew and endured for a lifetime. He resolved at that moment in time to live his whole life as an expression of love for God. He entered the, what was called the Carmelite Monastery in Paris, where he became known as Brother Lawrence. But he didn't have enough education. He was a lowly man, uh, not exceptionally bright and a simple man who did not have enough education to be trained as a cleric. So he was assigned to the tedious chores of cooking and, and cleaning and washing the pots and pans. He spent most of his life in the kitchen and he was glad to have that role. And while performing those menial tasks, he, he became convinced, as he put it, that our only business 
as believers was to love and delight ourselves in God and to continually live in the presence of God no matter what we're doing. He described the, the practice life like this, and I, I left it in the Old English uh, because I like that. Um, the Old English translation. This is what he says about how he practiced the presence of God. He says that we might accustom ourselves to a continual conversation with him, that is God, with freedom and in simplicity, that we need only to recognize God intimately present with us, to address ourselves to him every moment, that we may beg his assistance for knowing his will and things doubtful, and for rightly performing those which we plainly see he requires of us, offering them to him before we do them, and giving him thanks when they are done. That in this conversation with God, we're also employed in praising, adoring, and loving him incessantly for his infinite goodness and perfection. In other words, worship. The kind of thing we just did. That without being discouraged on account of our sins, we should pray for his grace with a perfect confidence as relying upon the infinite merits of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Brother Lawrence kept his mind focused on God whether he was engaged in in formal devotions or whether he was doing his humble work in the kitchen. He, He observed this. He says, the time, of business, the time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. He said, they're all the same as far as my life with God. In the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in great tranquility, as if I were upon my knees at the blessed sacrament. He said that our, our goal as believers should be this, to become in this life the most perfect worshipers of God we can possibly be as we hope to be through all eternity. And, and that, was the, that was what he aspired to uh, amid the, pop, the pots and pans. He didn't just go to worship services. His whole life was a life of worship practiced in the presence of God. Later in life, he became known for his great wisdom, peace, and, and love. God blessed him. God blessed his heart's desire. And that simple man became a a source of great wisdom. And uh, and people at a much higher uh, state than he was, much higher positions than than he was in the church and in government, came to him for for counsel in his kitchen among the pots and pans. But he remained a a simple, humble man until his death about 80 years of age. And, And although he died in obscurity, He never expected any notoriety. In fact, he would not have wanted his writings to be published. Uh, They were. God used his writings published after his death in the devotional classic called The Practice of the Presence of God to bless literally millions of Christians in their walk with God over the past three centuries. Brother Lawrence was an example of how God can take an an ordinary person who sets his heart on God to impact literally millions of other lives down through the generations for his kingdom. You see, God's always looking down through history. We tend to think of what's happening this week, what's happening this year, what's happening in our lifetime. God looks down through history. And, and he changes our lives in ways that will affect generations down the road. Well, our, our life of worship, just as it was for Brother Lawrence, can be a life of uh, a, a source of strength and, and power. And, 
And part of the reason that that's the case is because God has appointed us as priests. Did you know that? That you are a priest in the, in the kingdom of God? God's appointed you a, a priest as, as a Christian in, uh, in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10. You can look it up or, or you'll see it on the screen, one or the other. I'm going to read it in the English Standard Version. You have the uh, New American Standard Version in the uh, pew if you're using that. They're, they're, they're very close. So uh, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that is the word of God, that by it you may grow up into salvation if, you in, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, that would be Jesus Christ, right? You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And he's talking about the Jewish people who stumbled over Jesus as the Messiah. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, he's talking to us now, but you are our chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. How does that make you feel? I mean, doesn't that make your spirit soar? That, uh, he, he says, you're a holy nation a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession. That's who we are, folks. And so we're priests. Um, what are the sacrifices that priests offer? In the Old Testament, they offered animal sacrifices, right? Uh, but in the New Testament, it's a different kind of sacrifice that we offer. Did you know that we're responsible for offering sacrifices? under the new covenant as, as priests of God? Well, the spiritual sacrifices we offer as New Testament priests, are, there are a couple. First of all, Hebrews 13, 15, and 16 says, Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge or, or give thanks to, is another way of uh, rendering that, that give thanks to his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So the sacrifices here are, are what? In that passage of uh, Hebrews 13, 15, and 16. What are the sacrifices there that we're offering up as priests? Praise. Okay, what else? Sharing and doing good, right? Those three things in, in Hebrews. Those things are sacrifices. When you were singing along with Michael and, and uh, Andrea and Marissa just a few minutes ago, that was a sacrifice of praise that we as priests are are lifting up an offering to God. And then in Romans 12:1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Interesting. We present our, we present our, our bodies to God 
as a living sacrifice, our spiritual service of worship. Are you starting to get the idea that God made us priests in order to offer up our whole life as a sacrifice to him? If if you're getting that picture, that's the right picture. That's exactly God's plan. And worship is not an event on the schedule. Uh, We're here at a worship service and we're in corporate worship, but worship is not just an event on the schedule. It is a lifestyle to be lived. There's a misconception that worship occurs only on Sunday morning or or Saturday night in this case where, where we gather for corporate worship. That is part of our life of worship, but it is only one part of our life of worship. Just like uh, Brother Lawrence, uh, corporate, corp, we're, we're in worship all the time. We're living a lifestyle of worship. And corporate worship and corporate prayer are, are important opportunities to, to engage with God from uh, heart to heart and spirit to spirit so that he can change us. No one comes in, into the presence of God through the word, through uh, worship like we just did, uh, uh, through prayer, uh, if, if no one comes into the presence of God, spirit to spirit, heart to heart, without being changed. Uh, maybe you remember the story of uh, Moses in the Old Testament. Came down off the mountain. His face was glowing because he'd been, he'd been close to God. And the people couldn't even look at it. He had to put a veil over his face because, because it was glowing so much. And, and the same is true with us. Every time we interact with God, every time we come into his presence, he changes us. He changes us, and it's a good thing. How do we live a life of worship in God's presence? Well, uh, it worked for Brother Lawrence, but that was in the 17th century. How about now with the kinds of lives that, that we live? Well, I think there's a clue for us in Colossians 3, 1 through 4 and 15 through 17. We looked at uh, Colossians 1 and 2 last week. This is Colossians 3, uh, 1 through 4, where Paul says to the Colossian church, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Remember, our experience is bound up with with, uh, Christ and his experience. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And, and also, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And, and here, is some practical, here is some really practical stuff for um, living in the presence of God all the time. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing each other with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That is a picture, folks, of, of the heart that we need to have from day to day and moment to moment. And uh, don't be discouraged if your heart isn't like that right now uh, because uh, you can ask God for that. Sometimes we think we have to kind of gin up uh, an attitude of the heart, and, and we don't uh, because God will give us that. That is, heart, that is his heart's desire for us as well. So if we ask him for that, he will give us that over time that desire to, to uh, operate in that way from day to day. So my question to you is, is where is your mind set? Where is your mind set? On, on things above or, or things of this world? Those are choices we make as to where we're going to set our minds. And setting, a mind, setting our minds on things above requires that we, we engage with God through his word, 
through uh, prayer and, and through worship so that we can be changed. You know, the, I have a, a text note in my ESV Bible that, that calls worship, uh, it gives this definition, transformative engagement with God. Transformative engagement with God. It, what it says very simply is that anytime you, you come into contact with God and His Holy Spirit, you're transformed. God, God changes you a little bit at a time. In order to let the Word of Christ uh, dwell in you richly, you know, you, you have to be in the Word of God daily, reading and meditating on it in your quiet time, maybe memorizing a key verse or two or three so the Holy Spirit can use them as He remodels us from the inside out, and, and praying small prayers to God through the course of the day. You can have a conversation like Brother Lawrence did through the course of the day uh, with God. Keeping your mind centered on God um, like a compass needle swinging back to true north as, as we walk through our days. There was another man who lived like that, and that was King David. And if you've read much of what he's written in the Psalms, for example, uh, you see where his heart was. David knew that his strength came from living moment by moment in God's presence. And so you, you see in, uh, I've included part of his psalm of, of praise, or his song of thanks in uh, 1 Chronicles 16. I've included part of that in your, your handout. It's just pure praise and worship. Part of that in, in verse 11 says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. The strength that we're looking for in, in, in our faith to live our lives come from, comes from hanging in God's presence, staying in God's presence, and, and God imparts his strength to us. David's command to the leaders of Israel a few chapters later in 1 Chronicles twenty-two nineteen, as he was about to pass the baton to his son Solomon, he said, now set your heart, excuse me, now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. He told the leaders of Israel, set your mind and heart to seek the Lord and God. It's a deliberate choice that, that we have to make. David lived in the presence of God because his heart was set on God. One of my favorite psalms is uh, Psalm 27, verse 8, where he said, David says to God, he, he's in a conversation with God, he says, you have said, seek my face, and my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. You see? It's all about aligning our hearts with God's heart. Well, that kind of strength uh, came in handy. David had a, what I'm calling a, what I'm starting to call around here is a ziklag moment. And that'll become clear in, in just a minute. In, in 1 Samuel 30, here's the storyline. We won't read the whole passage. But in 1 Samuel 30, David and his men are away from their home in ziklag for a period of time. And he returns and finds that the Amalekites have, have attacked and, and plundered their city. And, and taken hostage their wives and their children. And we pick up the story in 1 Samuel 30, verse 3. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength left, no more strength to weep. David's two wives had also been taken captive, Ahinoam, of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. Here's the, here's the heart of this passage. 
He says, the writer says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He could do that because he walked in the presence of God from day to day. And then David said to Abiathar, notice his his next move. He said to Abiathar, the, the, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. I like to think he said, bring me the ephod. Something like that. And, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He said, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So his first move was to, to go to God and ask God to weigh in on it. Just a, a side note here, the ephod was a priestly garment in the Old Testament. And God had arranged that uh, he would uh, clue them in as to what his will was in a particular decision. The, the uh, ephod had in it um, sacred lots, and they would throw the lots, and God would respond in that way uh, to uh, give them direction on major decisions. And so uh, we don't have an ephod today. Why don't we have an ephod now? We have the Holy Spirit. You and I, if we belong to Jesus Christ, are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will be your teacher. He'll be your counselor. He'll direct you into all truth. So um, turn to the person next to you and say, nice ephod. You've all all got something better than an ephod, and that is the, the Holy Spirit of God. But they weren't indwelt by the Holy Spirit in those days, and so they had to rely on the priest and the ephod for um, determining what God's, God's will. But back to our hero. You notice that everyone around him had melted down with, uh, with grief and despair. Uh, they were useless. And even though David himself was struggling with his own grief and loss, notice that he was not crushed by it. And, and that's an important point. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Because he lived in God's presence from day to day, his first thought was, Let's get God to weigh in on this. And that's why he said, get me the ephod. And I have to think when he told Abiathar, get me the ephod, it was like, get me the ephod and don't check your phone on the way either. You better come back out of breath. So Abiathar came back and uh, once David got assurance from God that they would prevail, he said, dry your tears and grab your swords, boys, because we've got some business with the Amalekites. And we don't have time to, to read that whole passage here. You can read it later, but... The bottom line is he, he chased them down, killed most of them, and got the hostages back alive, every one of them, uh, in addition to the, the animals and the property. Now here's the lesson for us in that. We, we've all, we're all going to have ziklag moments, as I'm calling them, and, and those can be the loss of a loved one, uh, of kids that are prodigal, uh, a broken relationship, um, an un, uh, a betrayal on a part of uh, someone you love, a, a, a cancer diagnosis, a divorce, or, or some other awful hurt that, um, that just, just grieves you to your core. If you are practicing the presence of God from day to day, uh, you will be strong enough to survive that ziklag moment. It doesn't mean you, you won't feel grief, that you won't feel loss. You will. We're, we're human beings, and, and God knows that. But you will have the strength to overcome that ziklag moment in the power of God. Uh, some of you know that I was diagnosed with uh, lymphoma a few months ago, and I went through radiation for a, a month at Sparrow, and the nurse there told me that 
She said, uh, the, the Christians there are easy to distinguish. She said, they're the ones with hope. And, uh, and the others, uh, many, in many cases, uh, have only despair and, and loss. You see, we, we know uh, this life is not all there is if we're, uh, if we're children of God. So uh, the kind of strength that David had, the kind of strength we can get by, by uh, abiding in Christ, um, by spending time with God every day in his word and in prayer and in worship, uh, they will take us through those ziklag moments. And I, and I wanted to take a minute just to talk to the, the men here. So you ladies can uh, take a break for just a second. I wanted to say that I have some experience with hostage rescues too. I was, uh, some of you may know that I was a state policeman for years and, and I was a, a SWAT team uh, guy. So I, um, I went out on many of those hostage rescues and many nights uh, strapped on a shield on one arm and picked up an automatic pistol and I'd crouch outside a dark door in the middle of the night and, and, and pray for I'd say, Lord, you know, those, remember those angels that you promised? Now would be a good time. And uh, kick the door and, and go in and take care of business. But here's my point. I never did that alone. I never did that alone. Some of you men, in particular, are trying to live the Christian life alone. And that is very dangerous. I knew that uh, if I got in trouble in one of those situations, I had three or four guys behind me with heavy weapons. And uh, all I had to do was hit the deck and they would shoot over the top of me and annihilate any threat. We need each other, men. And, uh, you know, we're, we like to think that we're lone rangers. Uh, men hate to ask for help. And I, I joke sometimes that, that um, men uh, don't pray or, or find it difficult to pray for the same reason that we, we hate to ask for directions. It's, it's because we don't want to admit we need help. You see? Real men don't need directions. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. And they, we don't need quiche either, right? Uh, my point is that uh, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. And, uh, and uh, you, you know when some of you have been in the military, if you're out on patrol, uh, who does the enemy come after? He comes after the straggler, uh, the person by himself, because he's an easier target. And, and so we, we as men need each other. And... Um, it's not something we, we want to do alone. Uh, Proverbs twenty seven seventeen says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. We need to do life in relationship with each other because sooner or later, all of us will have a ziklag moment. And, and then it, it, it's too late to ask for help in many cases. You, you need men around you who can support you, encourage you, pray for you. And uh, sometimes swing the sword of the Spirit, that is the Word of God, on your behalf. The other night, uh, or Wednesdays, you know, the men of New Hope meet. We're studying Experiencing God right now. We meet early morning, 6.30, O-Dart 30, I like to say, and then also in the evening. And uh, the other night, uh, it was really inspiring because uh, one of the guys uh, had been sick, and, and so he asked us to pray, and and uh, so here, here are the guys around the tables uh, and the prayers for their brother going up to, going up to God and uh, supporting and encouraging him in, in that way. Uh, they, they were praying for him on Wednesday and he'd been sick for a couple of days and he went back to work on Friday. So uh, God answers prayer. 
Speaking of which, uh, prayer is what I call God's transformation statement, uh, transformation station. Pastor and, pastor and author uh, Richard Foster says this about how God uses prayer in our lives. He says, prayer catapults us into the, onto the frontier of the spiritual life. It is the discipline of prayer that brings us to the deepest and highest work of the human spirit. Real prayer is life-creating and life-changing. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. We tend to think of prayer as presenting our grocery list. That's not what prayer is at all. Uh, yes, we can present our needs, but it's much more than that. And uh, it, it is one of the, the conduits through which God changes us. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, for example. He, he passes us his peace. Romans 15 and 13, the God of all hope, says, I'll give you joy and peace as you ask me, and it'll come through my Holy Spirit. Uh, Romans 15, 13, joy and peace. So, so God... Uh, changes us through prayer. Um, sometimes we, we uh, remove obstacles through prayer as well, and we do that because it is a, a spiritual lever, if you will. We can exert spiritual leverage through prayer, and, and God's provided that opportunity for us. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. We pray to resolve obstacles. When we know God wants us to do something and there's an obstacle in the way, we can pray to to resolve that obstacle. When uh, someone is resistant to the gospel and we love them and we want them to come to faith in Jesus Christ, my experience has been, folks, that if I pray for somebody over a period of time, they will come to faith in Jesus Christ sooner or later. They will. Because God's, God's spirit is relentless when we release his power uh, to go after a person in that way. Uh, it's already God's will. We know we're praying in God's will. So why would he not do that? He, he will draw people to himself. We had a recent example. Maybe Mark mentioned this to you, but you know, you know with this Kenya medical mission trip, David Katanga, Dr. David and Ann Katanga are the people... They're on the ground over there running that mission. And uh, for one reason or another, we hadn't heard from David Katanga in about three months. We were getting kind of nervous. You know, it was a few weeks before we were ready to go, and we hadn't heard from Dr. Katanga. And so, um, and it had been over three months since we heard from him. We emailed him, tried to call him, uh, and, and we were just getting to the place where we were a little apprehensive about sending a team over there so they could stand on the curb at Nairobi Airport if there wasn't anything going on over there. So I, I said to Mark and Steve uh, Whalen one morning, uh, you know, we just need to pray about this. And so uh, 10.30 in the morning, we, we, we prayed that God would remove any obstacles to, to hearing from Katanga and that he would contact us. At, at 1.01 p.m., uh, uh, an hour and a half later, got an email from Katanga. And, and he says, hey, how you doing? I got everything set up for you. I've been out of town for a few weeks, but... I'm back now, and we're, we're all ready to go. Looking forward to having your team. All was well, you see. But it just took God to whatever obstacle there was there. We asked God, and an hour and a half later, I, I emailed somebody. Hey, that's a pretty quick turnaround, isn't it? Uh, but that's the kind of thing God does when, when you're operating in his purposes, where, where you're doing uh, his work when you're on his mission. And that is just beyond coincidence. 
It's a good example of how, how God is poised to help us, even with the small things of life, folks. Even with the small things of life, things in your workplace, things in your family. Jesus set the example for us, didn't he? He frequently went out to a place of solitude and prayed to his Father. The example in Luke 6 says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. All night. And then the next day, he had a busy day. He chose all 12 of his disciples. He healed hundreds of people and cast out demons in the multitudes uh, that, that came to see him. He delivered the Sermon on the Mount all the next day. If Jesus, the Son of God, needed to make prayer a priority, if he needed to set aside solitude for time with his Father, then, then do you think we don't? I, I think we do. And, and that was his routine. He did that all the time. You know, something that was a newsflash for me that may be for you as well. We tend to think Jesus came to earth with the master plan. He had some kind of Tim Tebow wristband, you know, with all the plays on it. He knew exactly what was going to happen. I don't think that was the case. I, I think that's why he went to his father all the time. He was dependent on his father uh, for the next steps. Where are we going to minister next? Who am I going to choose for the disciples? What shall I say in this setting? And, and he and his father were so close that, that they talked about that. And Jesus got direction from his father about what the next steps were in ministry. Here's a snapshot of the Acts 2 New Testament church. Same story. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And, and here's the, the bottom line. The Lord added to their, their number day by day those who were being saved. Every day there were people, dozens of people, perhaps hundreds of people, uh, added to the church in, in Jerusalem every day. And look at, at, the, at the first part again. Uh, they devoted themselves to, to teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and, and to prayer. They were much in prayer. And the apostles were as well. There was a point at which they said, oh, we can't do this other administrative stuff. We have to focus on the word of, of God and prayer. Uh, those were the leaders of the church. And, and look at what the result was. Every great revival in the history of the church and every explosive church growth uh, period in the church always began with, with corporate prayer. I want to share with you a little bit about uh, Dr. Joe Bustamante as one of our medical team members. And I want to share with you a little bit about what he wrote uh, about the, the worship experience and, and uh, prayer in Kenya with some of the Kenyans that he was interacting with. Joe is a great writer. I never knew what a great writer he was until we started getting his messages. And I think there are some of his in, in your packet. I don't, I don't know that this most recent one is. Um, but uh, you can email us and we'll send it to you if you like. Here, here's a piece of it. He says, There are two experiences that I'm convinced will be forever etched in my mind. The first was the Sunday service. The unrestrained passion and the sheer joy these simple people demonstrated as they worshipped and praised the one who gave us life will forever remain a high point in my life. 
They demonstrated to me that less is more. I can never again take for granted the love our Lord has for what he has created. The second event involved worship as well. He says, on Wednesday morning, the clinic workers, that is Elizabeth, our lab tech, Samuel, a nurse who also functions as a, as a physician at the clinic, Dr. Daisy, an internist, and our group all gathered at the clinic to pray for those we would see that day. We took each other's hands and stood in a circle and started to pray. After a moment, Elizabeth began to quietly pray. This, this is a woman of God who drives two hours each way to get there to minister at the clinic. After a moment, Elizabeth began to quietly pray. Suddenly, this quiet, unassuming little lady took hold of God's hem and wouldn't let go. I'm convinced her prayer hung before our Creator as he sat on his throne like the fog rolling off the San Francisco Bay. When it was over, we were awash in tears. I, I don't think my prayer life will ever be the same. When Elizabeth left her quiet demeanor behind and boldly stepped before God and pleaded his mercy on her brothers and sisters and all those we touched through the clinic that Wednesday morning, my life changed. That's what happens when we come in contact with God. Elizabeth showed me that it's all right to, and I'm quoting, get all up in God, unquote. It's okay to let people know how much I love him and that it doesn't matter a whit what the next person, person next to me thinks about it. They can hop on the bus and enjoy the ride or they can miss the boat. Their choice. Either way, it just doesn't matter. God created me to worship him. Connecting with God in prayer and worship connects us with the Spirit of God and changes us in a way that nothing else will. Let me ask you, why is it often so different for us in our churches over here? Well, Daniel Henderson says in the, in the book Transforming Prayer, he says, prayerlessness is our, is our declaration of independence from God. Recent uh, research, and I'm talking about the larger church, not this one necessarily, but the larger church in America right now. Recent research indicates that American Christians pray seven minutes a day. Pastors are ahead of them a little bit, nine minutes a day. Do we, do we really think it's a coincidence that the, the North American continent is the only continent where Christianity is not growing? Not experiencing significant, even explosive growth like is occurring elsewhere. What is our, why does our worship and prayer look so different sometimes from our Kenyan brothers and sisters? And sometimes it, in, in some churches especially it looks a little anemic. It certainly didn't look that way tonight. They, they pray and they worship with passion all out of proportion to what they have in terms of material things. And, and I wonder, could it be that, that sometimes that, that uh, we have so much that our, our, our stuff has choked our desire for God? There's so many distractions sometimes. I think our stuff chokes our desire for God. Jesus warned about that in the parable of the sower, Mark 4.19. He says, but the three things, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Again, where is our mind set? Is, it set, is our mind and our heart set on the things of God or on the things of this world? It makes all the difference. John Franklin uh, talks to the critical importance of corporate prayer to God's purposes. He says, the greatest workings of God come by corporate prayer 
we will not see the power of God in sufficient measure to transform the world around us until we pray together. We must make praying together a priority equal to preaching and teaching. Your spiritual fate depends not just on prayer, but on praying in community with other Christians. Personal prayer lives alone, as important as they are, will not result in the working of God to the degree needed for spiritual transformation in our lives, our churches, our cities, or our nation. God in his sovereignty has determined that something happens when we pray together that transcends praying separately. His working increases exponentially. If we don't pray together, we'll continue losing our country. If we do pray together God's way, we can expect a revolution in our society. How can we pray better? Well, we can seek his face rather than his hand. What I mean by that is uh, we can trade in uh, the, the grocery list mentality we have sometimes when we, when we pray. And, and some of the, that's one of the things that deadens some prayer meetings as well. Trade that in for, for prayer driven by the Holy Spirit that springs out of the Word of God and focuses on praising and worshiping God for who He is and, and what He's done. I don't know if you noticed, but in your packet tonight, I included a, a list of the, the names of God. If you start going through that in, in your quiet time, or, or even tonight in a few minutes, if you, if you start looking at that, I, I find it, it, it will make your spirit soar. Uh, because you see, when, when we know more about God, when we, when we know God to a greater degree, when we understand his character, who he is and what he has done for us, we, we can't help but love him more. When we know him more, we will love him more. That will increase our faith. We'll pray more powerfully and we'll worship more powerfully. Uh, so, so that's a great place to start. To, to meditate. Daniel Henderson says again, prayer becomes transformational when we embrace the original and enduring context for all praying. A worship-based approach fixes our heart first on the majesty of God, the person of Christ, the purity of his word, and then excites within us an appetite for him. Our very motives for prayer are changed and elevated beyond anything merely earthly. Our heart is renewed with a desire for his glory. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and, and its righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Uh, Michael put that, that passage up on the screen, Matthew 6.33. And, and that, that means not only in prayer, but especially in prayer. We've got to put God first. And you notice the Lord's Prayer is structured that way. We, we need to recognize that uh, also that prayer releases the power of God to accomplish his purposes. Uh, and, and Jennifer Kennedy Dean, in a wonderful book called Live a Praying Life, says, your prayers will never do anything except release God's power for his purposes. On the other hand, your prayers will always release God's power for his purposes. You know, God's always orchestrating his eternal purposes and his agenda is always bigger than what we can wrap our mind around he isn't just doing one thing when he when he intervenes in a person's life it isn't just about that but there's there is a web of other things that happen as a result of that he, he's orchestrating events not just at this moment but down through history and we're involved in that if, if we're children of God some of you rem, may remember uh, praying for a guy named Richard Cox when I got my cancer diagnosis uh, a few months ago I just asked God to, to show me what his, after I called my wife, I, I asked God to show me what his purpose 
was in this for me. I said I, I wanted to make sure that, that I understood and could cooperate with God working out his purposes in my life and whoever else that I was supposed to touch. Well, I, part of the an- I got part of the answer. The first day I walked into Spiro Cancer Treatment Center for uh, radiation, there was a guy sitting up against the wall with a Harley Davidson cap on, and uh, his face was just tight with pain, I, I could see. And uh, it was like the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And there wasn't an audible voice. You know, I didn't get knocked off the horse and this, all that. But it, I just, uh, I had the impression that I believe was from God that uh, he said, he's one of the reasons you're here. And, and so, I, you know, I struck up a conversation with him. I'm an old motorcycle guy. He was a motorcycle guy. So we talked about Harley Davidson's and, and, um, and became friends. Became Facebook friends, even. And a couple old guys on Facebook. How boring is that? Uh, but he and I got pretty close. And, and you know, uh, I, I had an opportunity to talk to him about the things of God. He emailed me one late one, late one night, and, and he, said, he said, Gary, I, I notice a, a peace and a serenity about how you're dealing with your cancer. He said, he said this, whatever it is you've got, I want it. I'll do anything to get it. And you see, God orchestrates the events of our lives to touch other people. So I sent him back a long message, uh, you know, explaining the gospel and, uh, and including some scripture and, and all that. One point, he, as we were together every day for weeks in the treatment room there, he, he, one time he didn't show up for a couple of days, I found out his blood count had dropped dangerously low. And he, so I hunted him down up in Sparrow in the uh, hospital there and it, his room was all dark, and uh, he was asleep. But I just walked in, sat down by, by his bed in a chair, and started to pray a little bit. Well, you know, he woke up with a start like, like this and looked over at me like, uh, and, and I said, relax, man, you're still here. Real angels are a lot better looking. <laughs> and then we had a chance to talk a little bit about, about spiritual things, and about where he was in his life with God, what, what heaven might be like, and was he prepared to meet God if... if uh, if, if uh, God chose to, to take him. And, uh, and he said that he was. And eventually my, my treatment ended and we, we kept on in touch on Facebook and, and email, but I got this message yesterday that I'll share with you. He says, Gary, I was into the cancer clinic yesterday to get the results of my CAT scan I'd done last Friday. I would like you to know that I'm now cancer-free and somewhat living a somewhat normal life again. I'll be getting my tube and port taken out. Don't need them anymore. I want to thank you for your prayers and moral support during this difficult time in my life. Looking forward to riding some Harleys with you this summer. Peace and love, Rick. Now, this guy had stage four uh, throat cancer. He was drinking morphine right out of a bottle like soda pop. He was in so much pain. He couldn't eat. He had tubes in his stomach. I thought if, any, if anybody looked like death, he looked like death. But, you know, uh, I, I think, try to, try to convince uh, Rick that, that uh, God does not intervene, that God does not answer prayer. Try to convince him that God doesn't answer prayer. If you can get him from stopping, stop doing that silly Harley Davidson happy dance. Uh, Rick believes that God intervened there on, on his behalf. And, and my point is that God orchestrates events in our lives to accomplish his purposes and they're almost always beyond us beyond the immediate thing that's happening to us uh, there's another purpose for it if we if we ask him to show us that he'll reveal that to us 
and, and we can participate with them in it. Well, prayer is empowered when our faith is strengthened through worship. Worship builds your faith. Worship builds your love for God. Worship-based prayer, Daniel Henderson again, worship-based prayer infuses us with empowerment for the warfare zone we exist in every day of our lives. We're in a battle. Word-infused prayer makes us ready to face spiritual enemies with it is written, just like Jesus did, on our lips. Spirit-led prayer allows us to make application of truth to the challenges of the day and weakness of our flesh. We're on the winning team. All the provisions for conquering in life are abundant and available in Christ. Prayer is vital to our daily triumph, awakens us to the necessity of entering a battle with a a clear mission plan. What I'd like to do for a few minutes uh, yet tonight is is spend a a brief time in in prayer together. We don't do a lot of corporate prayer here together, but I'd like to do a little bit of that tonight. I'd I'd like to just focus on, on God. Um, rather than our, our, our grocery list. I, I'd, I'd like to uh, just give him praise and, and worship him and uh, give him thanks. And, and I'm going to ask you to participate uh, in that with me. And if, if you, uh, feel like you can, uh, feel like you can come up, this isn't for America's Got Talent here. This is uh, actually so that, that uh, if you'd like to, you can, you can come up and just just pray a brief first. God, thank you for your faithfulness to me. Uh, you can use that list of names of God. Uh, maybe the Holy Spirit will prompt you. You can use something out of that Chronicles, uh, 1 Chronicles 16, David's song of thanks. You can use a psalm. But I'd like to start with, start with Scripture and, and just pray back to God. Um, Lord, Lord I, I thank you for your, your loving kindness. Um, or... Uh, thank you for your faithfulness through all generations. Or whatever it is, wherever God's touching you right now, I, I just like to share that, that together. And uh, if, if you don't feel like you can come up here uh, to pray, then, then fine. Just, just pray silently where you are. Or uh, even stand and, and pray loudly if you'd like to. But I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to, uh, to, to move us in that direction and, and allow us to, to, um, to pray together. And, and to lift up God's name and, and worship him in, in prayer right now. Father, we thank you for this time. And I thank you for these folks and for their hearts for you. And, and I ask you, Lord, to, to align our hearts with your heart. I'd ask that your Holy Spirit tonight would, would prompt us to be able to share together in, in prayer and be able to lift up your name and glorify you um, as we, as we uh, lift up these prayers to you. And And uh, we ask it in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.